morning. How are you today? Good, good. All right, today I'm going to try something a little different. Um, I'm going to try to do two things at once. I am going, and I'm, listen, uh, it's going to be hard for me to do this. I'm going to perform kind of an illusion and tell you a story at the same time. And everyone knows I'm not a multitasker, so this will be a challenge for me. But I think it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be cool. You guys, you want to do it with me? You want to try it? Yeah? Man, I didn't have to incite a second time. You guys are good. I like that. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. For the illusion to work, I need you to listen to my exact instructions. It has to be done this way, but it's going to be really cool if you do it right. So what you're going to need to do is reach into your program and pull out your notes. And inside also your notes, you're going to see a flag that looks like this. Now, the notes keep aside. They're ready for you for after we get through this and keep a pen. But uh, take the flag. And here's what you're going to do. Has everybody got your flag? Pull out your flag. Good. Now, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look at the flag. You're going to stare at the flag about 12 inches from your face, right about here. One foot, 12 inches. Now, what you're going to need to do is stare at that flag and don't look away. Okay, if you look away, it's not going to work. So you need to look at that flag and stare at it. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story. Now, I learned this little illusion in high school, and uh, my high school physics class, and Mr. Yates was our teacher. Mr. Yates is one of those guys who, you know, all the kids liked. He was a lot of fun. He wore jeans and T-shirts, and, you know, he just knew how to connect with teens very well. And he also knew how to teach in a way that made everything very understandable, for me, And that's basically, I think, part of the reason why I liked physics, because I was able to understand it well. Well, anyway, Mr. Yates was not just my physics teacher, but he was also my high school, uh, my homeroom uh, teacher, or room, you know, that is, where you go and you go to that room right in the beginning, they take attendance and you hear announcements and all that stuff. Well, one morning we came into the room and there was kind of like a, fl- a funky smell. You know, and it was like everybody's kind of looking around, but nobody really wanted to say anything because they thought someone may have farted. But they were like, you know, and you don't want to be the one that says, who, who did that? Because then they say, whoever smelt it, dealt it, right? You guys hear that one before? Hey, keep looking at your flags. And so, you know, everyone's just scared to do that. But then by, I came back to the physics class, it was hours later, and the room still smelled. So it's like, hey, something's going on, and they couldn't figure out what it was. So the next day, we come back in, and the room smell is there, but it's even worse. And then the next day after that, it was even gathering. It was getting so bad. It got to the point where we couldn't meet in the classroom anymore. We had to go outside to meet for the class. And so they decided to do this exhaustive search of this classroom. And they were looking everywhere, behind file cabinets, under desks, all these kind of things. And then finally, they're kind of trying to track the smell down. And they get to the drop ceiling. They lift one of the ceiling tiles. And there is a dead fish that's been rotting there for days. Everybody say gross. Ah, gross. Right. I mean, it stunk. And this was a a high school prank that they were playing on Mr. Yates in a way of fun. Now, if you're a high school student here and you say, hey, man, that's really cool. I'd like to do that. No, don't do that. I'm not suggesting that. And don't please don't tell them that you heard this in church from your pastor. Okay. And that's where you got the idea. All right. You guys still looking at the flag? Okay, good. Now, here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're going to close our eyes. Okay. One, two, three. Close your eyes. Hold them closed. Now, what do you see? Do you see a flag that's red, white, and blue? That used to be yellow, blue, and black? Most of you should have. Did you guys see that? All right, I told my story. Did my illusion? There we go. All right. All at the same time. 
Okay, if you didn't see that, try it again at another time. Or, you know, bring it to your home and astound your friends and family. They'll love that. Little tricks you can do. Okay. Mr. Yates was using this illustration to um, demonstrate what's called after image. After image is when you stare at an object long enough in the world with your eyes open, it looks different in the world with your eyes closed. Totally different. For instance, black became white, red became blue, and blue be- or yellow became blue, and red, uh, blue became red. But when you look at this flag, you saw originally blue, black, and yellow. But when you closed your eyes, when you entered the r- different realm with your eyes closed, you now saw it red, white, and blue. And things appear differently sometimes when we go from one world to another. The world is perhaps different than it appears to you and me. You see, every day, you and I see things, right? We touch things, we smell things, we feel things. All these things are happening that are in a physical world, and yet there is another world that we do not see. A world that we do not understand. It's a world that does not appear the same way as we see it. In fact, we are not very attuned to this world. It's called the spiritual world. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. You see, we're in this series in Ephesians called Rethink. We're rethinking different areas of our lives. And today is we're, good, we're going to be challenged to rethink by Paul the Apostle the spiritual world that exists around us. Because the spiritual world is having a, a profound effect on you and in me. If you're in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. It says this, it's in your outline and on the screen. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul's saying that many of the struggles that we attribute to the physical world are actually an effect of the spiritual world in this verse. He's telling us that we wrestle with things that are more than physical. They're spiritual. And just like Mr. Yates's class, we were sitting in class being assaulted by this odor, right? We were being assaulted by something we couldn't see, by something that we didn't even know existed, that was somewhere else, that was kind of like in the room but not in the room. And it was attacking us, and we were feeling its effects. In the same way, there is a spiritual world that affects our physical world. You see, the spiritual world does exist, and it's filled with spiritual beings. God created... These physical beings and this physical dimension, the physical beings we call angels a lot of the time. This physical world that we talk about, we might call heaven or even the spiritual world that God created. And it exists, we call it spiritual because it, it's not, we're not able to detect it naturally, are we? With our natural means. We, we don't know how to bridge from one world to the other. But we do feel its effects. And so we call it spiritual or supernatural. We know, we don't really know when God created it in comparison to the physical world, but we do know that He did create it. It tells us that in Colossians 1.16. But God created the heavenly realm and all kinds of spiritual creatures, and we call some of them angels. And there are other words for these spiritual beings too. There's called seraphim or cherubim. You may have heard those. And we think cherub is a nice little baby, but it's probably because they thought, you know, angels look nice. We'll call a little, oh, what a little angel, my little cherub. 
You know, and we think of them as little baby, but that's really, the truth is we don't even know what a cherub is. In fact, cherubs, as they're described in the Bible, are pretty scary. And scary looking, too. Like there's one that guarded the Garden of Eden with a fiery sword, it tells us. And some of these angels, they have like multiple wings. And they'll fly around with one pair and they'll cover their face with another and their legs with another. Some of them have eyes covering their whole body. Now, imagine your mom would like that. So when you're being bad, she could be like, I saw that. And you're like, her back was turned to you because she had eyes all over the place. That would be a nightmare. But listen, they had multiple faces, some of them. Said they had four or five faces. Some were animal faces. Some were human faces. And some were just creatures, they called them. Listen, if you want to know or read a little bit about them, you can read about heaven and angels. I'm just going to tell you this. I might shout out a few verses. You can write them down if you want. But Revelation 4 and 5, Ezekiel 1 and 10, and also Isaiah 6. That's Revelation 4 and 5, Ezekiel 1 and 10, Isaiah 6. But there you'll also see that they have diff- there's a hierarchy in some of the angels. And they have different powers. They're not all the same. They're different. And some are higher, some are lower, some are bigger, some are stronger, some look different than others. All sorts of stuff. And you may be saying, John, well, this is all fascinating. You're telling me about the spiritual world that God created, but really, what has that got to do with me? Well, there are also some bad guys out there, some bad spiritual beings, and they're out to cause a lot of trouble. You see, there's a growing philosophy, though, that says that this isn't true. You need, if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, so you don't believe in devil either. You don't believe in Satan, so you don't believe in that. And even... What's maybe more dangerous is the person who says that they believe in God, but then they don't really believe in the devil. Because we like to think that there's a benevolent God, there's a loving God, but there's no evil portion out there. So there's, there's good, but there's no devil, and there's no evil. But that's not true either, not according to the Bible. And see, the danger is when we try to ignore that side is that we cannot be prepared for what Paul is trying to warn us about right now. The Scriptures are very clear that Satan has a real and personal existence. So who is the devil, right? Who is the devil? Where did he come from? Well, he was originally created as an angel. It tells us this in Ezekiel 28. And this angel was beautiful. He was adorned with all these stones, it says, like diamonds and topaz and all this stuff. I mean, his body, he like just glittered. And it tells us that his lungs and his windpipe and his, his throat they were created to be worshipped, like worship, like nothing was like compares to it. So here's this angel that's so beautiful, probably the most beautiful creature that God created. And he sung like you wouldn't believe. You know, we envy Mark and George, and sometimes when I sing in the shower, I like want to be like them, but I know I'm not. It's like, but you're looking, that Satan is better than them. This, he was, Lucifer was his name. He was so amazing that everybody wanted to be like him. It also says that he was the anointed cherub that covered He was the anointed angel that covered the throne of God. So God set down his throne and, man, this angel had God's back. That's how good he was. This is what God created, this beautiful creature. And it says that he was perfect in all his ways. But here's the interesting thing, is that sin became found in him. You see, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 16 that Satan, or Lucifer at the time, was so prideful. I mean, he was amazing. He was so prideful that he thought, man, I am great. I look great. I sing great. I'm powerful. Everybody should worship me. I want to be worshipped. I don't want them worshipping God. I want them to worship me. And so it says that he wanted to be like God and above God. I quote this, I shall exalt my throne above God. I will be like the Most High. 
And he wanted people not to praise God or worship him, but they wanted him to worship himself. The Bible tells us that he rebelled against God and he became an enemy with God. And he's more powerful than anything in this world. In fact, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. He's smarter than you and I. I mean, think about it. Even if he had my brain or your brain, right? He's still been at it for thousands of years. Think of all that experience and all that knowledge that he gained. But he's probably a lot smarter than us because he also knows what happens in the spiritual world, which I really don't know that a whole lot about. So he's pretty smart. Listen, he has abilities that you and I just don't understand. He's called the great dragon, the fallen angel, the father of lies, the angel of light, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of demons, the god of this age, Satan, devil, slander, evil one, tempter, accuser. But he is limited, after all. He is not infinite, but he is a finite creature. Unlike God, Satan does not know everything. Unlike God, he is not all-powerful. And unlike God, he cannot be everywhere at one time. I don't know how the spiritual world works. I mean, you know, for me to get up and go to one place or another takes time. I mean, if Satan were here and he disappeared, I mean, maybe he could just be in China the next instant. So, man, he probably can get around a lot quicker than you and I, but he still cannot be everywhere at one time. But here's the thing. He's also not alone. He's not alone. He has helpers, and they're called demons. And where are the demons? What are they? Well, they originally were angelic beings created also. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it tells us that. And the Bible tells us that a third of the angels followed Satan and decided to worship him. Hey, I'm gonna, instead of God, I'm going to follow after you. Now, I don't know how many people are even on this planet as we speak. Or maybe how many people have been on the planet since its existence. But if God created that many people, how many angels? How big is the angelic host? How many people of them? How many angels are out there, these angelic beings? And so just think of this broad number, this amazing number, and a third of them decided to follow Satan. And these are the things that Paul is speaking about in this verse when he talks about the principalities and the rulers and the powers and the spiritual hosts. The demons and Satan himself, these are the things that... Paul is referring to in this scripture area right now. And demons have ability just like all the other angels too. I mean, they may vary in their power and their might and the things that they're able to do and maybe their appearance, but they're able to do different things. When it comes to the spiritual world, you may have some questions. I have questions. It's somewhat of a mystery to us. You know, but Paul does tell us this, that this spiritual warfare does exist. Somehow what's happening in this realm spiritual realm affects our world, right? I don't know what's going on on the other side. One day when I die, hopefully I will. But I live in a physical world, not a spiritual world. It's tough for me to understand. I mean, what? how does it work? How does the spiritual world work? I mean, where is it? What, what, is a being, what is an angelic being that, does he have a body? Does he not have a body? Is it spiritual? What does he do? How does it work? What can they do? What can an angel do? Scripture gives us a few examples. In the book of Daniel, Daniel starts praying to God and he asks for an answer. 21 days later, an angel shows up and says, Hey, Daniel, listen, I know you, when you started praying, uh, we heard you and we had an answer for you, but it took me 21 days because other bad angels were keeping me from coming to you to give you the answer. In fact, they held me up for 21 days until Michael the archangel could come and help me out and now here I show up. So what can they do? Well, they can hinder your prayers, right? 
They can hinder your prayer. So maybe you've been praying and you're like, hey God, I need an answer to this and you haven't been answered yet. And maybe it's not because God doesn't want to answer you yet, but because there are spiritual demons and things that we are wrestling with that hasn't allowed it yet to be here. Listen, Satan, in the book of Job, he brings down fire from heaven and destroys. He's able to control the elements to some degree. He's able to incite a war among peoples. I don't know how he does those things, but he's able to do it. It says also that he's able to afflict you with, with um, sickness. Somehow it gives Job diseases and things like that. They're powerful. Demons can possess people. You read that in the New Testament. They're possessed. And when they possess, they give them supernatural strength sometime or special knowledge. It shouldn't surprise us, though, that demons can do these things because, you know, God is a God of power and He created them with these powers. But there are many ideas, there's many beliefs because there's some kind of unknown that we develop our own on our own about the spiritual world. And I'd like to dispel just a couple of them that you may have on your mind. So here's the first one. Here's the three common misconceptions about the spiritual world. The first one is Christians can be possessed. Christians can be possessed. We talked about possession, that demons do possess people. And at the time of Jesus, it was a heightened time of spiritual activity, of demonic activity. And God was using that to bring glory to His Son. And it says at the end of the age, at the end of days, that that's going to occur again. That the demons' activity is going to be higher and greater again. Right now we see it very little. We hear stories. But nowhere in the Bible do we see that a Christian was ever possessed. Never. Or a follower of God. They weren't. You see, what happens is when you decided to follow Jesus and you made Him your Lord and Savior, it says that the Holy Spirit came inside of you. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. It says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The house of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse I put in your outline. It says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. See, when you believed, God sealed you. Bam! And He puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now listen, Satan is not more powerful than God. Demons are not. They can't come in, kick out the Holy Spirit, and take over. If you are a Christian, you cannot be possessed. Listen to this verse. Because... God is more powerful. Listen, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. A Christian cannot be possessed, but they can be oppressed demonically. And what does that mean? Well, they can still feel the effects externally of what demons are doing. And this generally tends to happen in a situation where someone has dabbled into the occult in their past. And you can, if you've been in witchcraft or whatever, you can still be saved and be delivered from that, but you might still feel the effects of that. There was, when we were an earlier, a younger church, someone came and they asked for prayer. Now this person had been in the occult and had messed around with witches and all that kind of stuff. And he had kind of opened this door to this world, if you will. And now that he was saved, he, he wasn't possessed, but he was being oppressed. And so he asked us to pray for him. And so we put our hands on him, and I was not sure if he was saved anyway, so I'm thinking, what's going to happen here? I've never prayed for that. I'm just going to yell Jesus' name a hundred times, just in case. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, so I, we start praying for him. And Pastor Bob was there, and I didn't even think Pastor Mark were all have our hands on him. He was like sitting down in a crouched position. And as we were praying, I just, you could feel his muscles like roll and ripple, and like something was going on outside of this guy. 
Something weird was happening that wasn't human. And this guy would tell us, listen, I feel oppressed by spiritual demons. I wake up sometimes at night, he said, because I feel like I am being suffocated. I feel like there's a person actually sitting on my stomach, choking my neck. You see, he had opened kind of a door. You know, when I was young, the first time I told a dirty joke, it was very hard for me to do. You know, I hardly get the words out of my mouth. And then the second time, it was a little easier. And then the third and fourth time, it was real easy. You know, before you know it, I'm off to the racetrack telling as many dirty jokes as I can. Now listen, it's similar to that. You know, you start down a path and it becomes easier and easier because we're more familiar with that area. And maybe even the spiritual world is more familiar with you. So why do I share that with you? Because if right now, for any reason, you're dabbling or you're playing around with witchcraft, you know, lucky crystals or anything, you know, praying to statues or doing any of those things, incantations, and you think it's just a lot of fun. Listen, you can still be delivered from that and God can save you. But you may have to live through some struggles and trials that you don't want to later because it's a lot more, it's a lot easier for you because you're so familiar with it. And so I encourage you, if those things are in your life, you know, just get rid of them. Get rid of them and only have God. Listen, the second thing, misconception, is this. There's a demon for every affliction or sinful habit or trial. Now, there are well-meaning Christians that walk around trying to exercise demons, you know, uh, everywhere. Like, for instance, I woke up this morning and I looked in the mirror and I saw my hair and I started casting out that demon in my hair. Some of you are wondering when I'm going to get my hair cut very soon because, listen, this mop is tough to deal with. And there are times that I feel like there is a demon like curled up in here somehow making my life worse because you have good days and bad hair days, right? We all know those. But listen, sometimes we blame things and there's a, we think that there's a demon behind everything. There's a demon behind cancer or there's a demon behind alcohol or smoking or whatever habit it is that we have and we say, oh, it's a demon that we need to exercise. Now, can that be true? I mean, could it be? Well, it's possible. Possible there's a demon behind the thing that's going on in your life, but I would say to you this you need to have a very balanced perspective when it comes to that. Because there's not a demon behind everything. In fact, some of the things that are occurring in your life is because of a bad habit that you've been doing, a sinful habit. Or maybe it's your diet. Or maybe it's the way you're treating people. And those things are coming back because you've sowed those seeds, and now we go, oh no, but it's this this demon of this that's happening. Instead of taking care of the real issue, like cutting my hair. Right? Instead, I'm trying to cast out Satan in my mirror. And it happens the same way for us sometimes in different areas of our lives. Instead of focusing on the thing that I really need to correct, I blame it on a Satan or a demon and then I don't have to deal with it. I mean, it's something that we've done all along. Listen to what happened with Adam. It happened in the very beginning. After they had fallen in sin, listen to this outline. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman... Uh, you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know, he's like, Adam sinned willingly, but he blamed it on the woman. You know, look at this demon that you gave me. My wife is not a demon, okay? <laughs> but, but sometimes I want to blame a lot on her. And it's a similar way. Listen, it can it be? Maybe. It can but we really need to analyze first and look at, you know, what's causing the situation in my life. Is it something that I can correct and not just cast the blame somewhere else? Listen, the third thing, the devil made me do it. 
According to the Bible, the devil can't make you do anything. That's a misconception. You're free to follow God or you're free not to follow God. You're free to follow Satan if you wish. The Bible says when we sin, when we do something wrong, it's our own choice. Listen to this verse in uh, James. It says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We always have a choice. The devil can't make you do anything. You always have a choice. And we are tempted by our own desires. You can decide whether you want to do the right thing or not. But listen, though the devil can't make you do anything, he and his demon army wage a constant war to entice you to do things. And he's an, ex- an expert at it. You know, in this verse, in Ephesians, Paul's talking about the wiles of the devil, the wiles. And that basically is a Greek word, means methodia, uh, methodia. It's his method. It's his schemes. And that term was used for the wild animal who cunningly stalked and then unexpectedly bounced, pounced on his prey. That's Satan. He's like stalking you. That's his wiles. He wants to do it. Listen, Satan uses, in your outline, fill this in, it says, Satan uses both trials and temptations to draw us away from God. Both are a form and an attempt to turn us from God. You see, temptations produce guilt and they produce shame in our lives. So we don't want to be near God. And trials, they produce resentment and they weaken our faith in God. Satan knows that when we face a trial, we're going to do one of two things. You're either going to draw close to God or you're going to draw away. When you face a trial, you're either going to draw close to God because you realize that He's the only one who can help you or you're going to draw away because you're mad. You're resentful that this happened in your life and you say, God, why did you let it happen? And we turn away. My my sister-in-law, I received this email just yesterday. She was talking about praying for her and my, my brother. And, and some things, but she talked about her nephew who needs prayer. She says, my nephew Bobby is an awesome guy that is bitter about life due to choices he made at a younger age and backfired on him. He has a hardened heart more now that he has watched Religious, uh, Religious the movie directed by Larry Charles. So this guy had some issue in his past that didn't go very well, some things that didn't work out right, and now he's mad at God, and he's running away. Listen, there's people in this room right now who've experienced loss of loved ones who've experienced tragedies in their lives maybe you lost jobs maybe you lost houses maybe you had things that were careers that were supposed to go one way and never went that way maybe you didn't get things in life that you were hoping you were going to get we all have reasons to blame stuff and say God I hate you and be resentful for and Satan knows this this is the tactic that he uses he wants to bring that into your life because he wants He's taking the 50-50 chance that you're not going to draw closer to Him because you need Him, but you're going to run away. You're going to draw yourself away because you're upset about it. You see, that's why Satan brings these trials into my life. Listen to this. Listen to this dialogue between God and Satan when it came to Job. God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, So do you think Job does all that out of sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one's ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. 
But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took everything away that he has? He'd curse you right to your face, that's what. Satan wants to bring this trial into Job's life. God, let me at him. Let me take everything away from him because here's what I think is going to happen. If he do all this in his life, these trials, he's going to be mad at you. He's not going to want to come near you. And that's the same strategy he is using on you and me all the time. He wants to turn your adoration away from God. Listen, Satan's banking on the fact that you're going to turn away when he begins to turn up the heat. Listen, next week, Pastor Bob is going to talk more about that. When we talk about the armor of God and how we can protect ourselves from these attacks. But I want to talk a little bit more about temptation. Listen, when it comes to temptation, Satan's uh, tactics are summed up in this one verse. It's in your outline. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen, I want you to do a couple things. I left some space there so you can write. Circle the word lust of the flesh. The word. Circle those words. These are the things that we do to satisfy our flesh. That's like food, drugs, alcohol, sex, gluttony. These are the things that satisfy our flesh. Circle these next words. Lust of the eyes. These are the things that we see and we want to own. I see it, I want to possess it. That's thing, those are material things. Clothing, possessions, money, property, business, jewelry, whatever it is. I, want, I see it, I want it. And then circle pride of life. These are the things that feed our pride. The desire for power, ability, appearance, how beautiful we are, positions, fame, our heritage, where we, what country we come from, who knows. All these things, these are the pride of life. And these are the three areas that Satan tends to attack us. And the truth is, one of these areas is probably the dominant area for you. Could be the lust of the flesh, could be the pride of life, could be the lust of the eyes. And one of these, we tend to fall more than others. You know, when you see that a pastor has fallen, what is, they usually fall to one of these big three, right? What, he get caught in an adulterous affair, lust of the flesh. He's embezzling money, lust of the eyes. Or he starts turning his back from God because he thinks he's doing it all by himself, all that the ministry is happening because he doesn't think he needs God anymore, and that's the pride of life. And these are the areas that Satan likes to attack us. Listen, he's been using this since the beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, he's speaking with Eve. And Eve sees that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. She sees that it was beautiful to behold, something she couldn't have and she wanted. It was lust of the eyes. And if you eat of it, you'll become like God. Pride of life. He tempted her all three, all three of them. Hey, let me entice you. Let me draw you away from God. And he used the same three on Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember, perhaps you know, just before Jesus started his ministry, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasted and he prayed. And there after 40 days where he was hungry and he was weak, Satan comes to him to tempt him. And the first thing he does is says, hey, you must be really hungry right now. Why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread to feed your stomach? And Jesus says, no. And so when that doesn't work, he takes him up on top of a hill. And then he looks out and he sees the kingdom of the world. He says, all these that you see can be yours if you bow down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. And Satan, he says, no. So then Satan does, takes him to the pinnacle of a temple. 
He says this, throw yourself off the temple. And then what will happen is command your angels, show your authority, show how big and powerful you are because they will keep you from falling. The pride of life. He struck Jesus in the same areas to try to tempt him and bring him down. And listen, Satan is doing that constantly in our lives. Like I said, there's an area that he wants to use in you today. Um, you guys know who Stephen Hawking is? You might. He's like this prominent astrologer, etc. Well-known, well-respected from Cambridge. And this guy doesn't believe in God. Listen to what he says. If we discover a complete theory, how the universe became into being, it would be the ultimate triumph for human reason. For then we should know the mind of God. I mean, this guy's area is pride. He wants to be like God, just like Satan. And for each one of us, God, Satan is going to come in one of those areas to tempt us. So let me so you say, okay, John, okay, good. You're telling all this. What can I do about it? Well, here, what's my next two points? I'm going to finish with these. How to combat spiritual warfare. Number one, resist the devil. Resist the devil. It's in your outline. The Bible says, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, Satan is not someone you want to mess with, okay? I mean, think about it. What is the power of an angel? Well, we are, I'm not quite sure. Well, in the Bible, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one single night. I kind of did this little calculation because I'm crazy like that. In, in eight hours, he, that means that angel was knocking off 6.5 people every second. I, I mean... You know, that's another 12 gone right there. That's accumulating faster than the, uh, you know, the national debt. How powerful is, is an angel? Right? And we're like sometimes, oh yeah, Satan, bring it on, you know. I got Jesus in my corner. Well, I hope you do, because you are going to need him. Listen, we're not supposed to be taking on Satan. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking it to God. The Bible says, humble yourself before God. That's what the beginning of that verse says. Humble yourself before God. That means submit yourself to God. You just have to trust in His power, not your own. That's the first step. When you resist the devil, you have to humble yourself. You have to trust in God. You have to realize that it's not up to you what the outcome is. It's up to God. And during those situations, it's simply up to us to take it to God. The very beginning of the verse that we are in in Ephesians says this. I'm going to repeat it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, not John's might. So, I mean, okay, you're telling me to resist the devil, but you're saying, uh, be humble. You know, help me out here. I don't quite get this. What exactly is resisting the devil? Okay. You resist the devil by taking the escape that God offers you. My first and only experience on the Miami Tri-Rail... It was uh, <laughs> somebody's been on it before. It's not that bad. But someone, I was living in Fort Lauderdale. I'd come to Miami. It was more than 10 years ago. And I was new. And someone wanted to take me to the boat show. And so they said, let's take the tri-wheel. It'll be a real experience for you. I said, okay. So we got on. And when you pay for a ticket, the person had paid for a student ticket by accident. So it was like two bucks. And then a regular fare is like $4. Or at least was then, I think. And so... I said, all right, you know what? I'm a student. I'm going to the Bible college. I'll take that ticket here and I'll pay for a full fare and then I'll give you that one. So then we're on the tri-rail and then the, the security guard starts walking down the aisles. You know, he starts coming up to everybody checking their tickets. So he gets to me and he's like, here, where's your ticket? And I hand him my student ticket. And he goes, he goes yeah? 
where's your ID? And I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a student. I go to the Bible college. I wouldn't lie. I go to the Bible college. <laughs> sure, right? So he goes, listen, you have to have a Miami-Dade-issued student ID in order for you to get the student ticket. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a different ticket. And he wrote me a ticket that said I had to appear in court. I'm like, hey, listen, it was my birthday. Somebody was taking me down here. What's up? You know, how did this happen? So anyway, I go to court. I go to court and uh, I get in there and it's packed. It's packed at least as much as many people is in here, maybe more. And so there I am. Uh, the judge at the beginning starts saying to everyone, listen, here are the ways that you're going to be found guilty. And he said, I all named all these things. And mine was on there. Listen, you have to have a special ID. If you don't have this special idea, ID, you can, you're going to get fined. And this is not like a misdemeanor, apparently. It's something else. And so now I'm getting all worried, and I'm standing in the back. And then the guy says, but listen, they, there's some kids who have been interviewing and filming me, and, to, um, and, they, and today they need to continue that, and I'd like to go do that. So here's what's going to happen. Every one of you who just wants to come in, pay the fine, and plead guilty, we're not going to charge you with anything. You're just going to get off and get out scot-free. I mean, I was like the first one down the, in the line for that. I was like right up there. And that's what God is kind of saying to you and me. When you're in the middle of a temptation, there is going to be an opportunity for you to avoid it. He's going to open a door. And it's up to us to take the door. That's how you resist the devil. Not taking him on, but taking a different road. Because Satan wants you to fall. He wants to take you away from God. Listen, uh, God says to us that there is always a way out. And it's important for us to know which is the area of our weakness. When I talked about the three that he attacks from. Maybe as I was thinking of them, I'll say them again. Maybe there's one that stands out into your mind. I know there's one that stands out to me. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Half the battle is knowing where Satan is going to come at you. Listen, if you struggle in an area, you already know where that road leads you, don't you? Because you've been there before. And so it's smart, it's wise of us to understand the wiles of the devil. What is he going to do? Where is he coming at me? And then it's wise of us to understand that God is always going to open an opportunity for us to go through. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen, in those moments of temptation, remember there is always another way. Listen, the second thing I want you to know is that you should draw close to God. Resist the devil and draw close to God. In James, it tells us, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You know, sometimes we think that drawing close to God is kind of pleading on our knees and kind of saying nice things to God. You know, it's like, oh God, I need you. And, uh, you know, just try that with your wife the next time you get in an argument with her. That it doesn't work. It really doesn't. You know, she's looking for something else. And I'm like, honey, please, come on. You know, the, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I got in an argument. We were looking forward to having a great evening together. And then I don't know what happened. And honestly, it wasn't really even an argument. It was something, I don't even remember. It was so silly and tiny. 
But anyway, at that point, we were a little not wanting to hang around with each other. So then we weren't really, uh, you know, socializing too much. So I'm dirty from the day and everything. So I go and I take a shower. So I shower and then I get out and it's getting late. And I'm like, well, you know, I hate putting on deodorant because like, uh, well, you know, it's hard to clean off after a while. So you're like, I'll just, I'm only going to bed. And then I, I didn't want to put in gel in my hair. I just put in conditioner. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to put this Axe spray. You know what Axe is? That, you know? That stuff, by the way, it really works. <laughs> They're not choking around. <laughs> my wife, like, loves that stuff. So I'm like, you know, I'll just put it on. So I, shh, I'm spraying, you know, and I'm like, all right, good. So then I go to bed. And then, like, a day or two later, my wife is, like, saying, hey, John, you know, when you were, uh, you know, when you took that shower and everything, and then you put on that x spray. Did you think something was happen? It was going to happen? Because nothing was going to happen. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> and sometimes we kind of come to God with that, like with our little act spray, right? We just like, God, here I am drawing closer to you. You know, uh, God, I'm praying really hard in this moment because it's a moment of my trial. And sometimes we kind of do that little bit and said, well, God is saying here, listen to this verse, you know, you know, wash your hands, purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided. He's saying what he's trying to say is get your behavior right with me. That's how you draw close to me. Begin by changing your behavior. Begin by doing things right. And then that's you moving closer to me. Not just throwing on the axe spray, not just saying the words, not giving lip service. Listen, for a lot of us, we do want to draw close to God. We do want to live that kind of life. Listen, I want to give you a tool right now to help you to do just that. We reach into your programs and inside you're going to see a connection card. You should have that out already. And listen, this, this catalog in here, it says growth groups. Growth groups. Growth groups are an opportunity for you and me to know God a little bit better, to get Him in among a group of people who are going to encourage us in our behavior. During trials, they're going to be able to pray for us. They're going to be able to uplift us when we're in a difficult situation. You see, Satan would love to separate you from the herd. He wants to get you alone. You know why? Because just like that description of the animal, you're much more weaker when you're not surrounded with other Christians. He wants to take you out. He wants, it's his pleasure to have you not a part of what everybody else is doing. Because then you're easy prey. I'm not trying to scare you guys like, whoa. But listen, if you want to draw close to God and you want to keep a relationship where it's harder for Satan to get in there and to take you out when he's trying to tempt you and when he's bringing in trials, then join a growth group. And maybe for some of you today, this is the way out that you need. Because maybe right now you are plagued with temptation. Maybe you are plagued with trials. And God is opening a door and saying, listen, right now as we're opening this, man, there's a group in here for me. Sign up. And don't let Satan take you to a place where you don't want to go. Listen, Trials come into our lives, and sometimes we haven't realized the purpose of a trial in our life. Satan is using the trial in your life for bad. He wants to separate you from God. But God will turn that around and use it for your good. There's this interesting little story that happens after the the night in the upper room where they share the wine and the bread together with Jesus before he's going to die. He approaches Peter and he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But when you have returned, but he prayed for you, he says, I'll pray for you that you shouldn't fail, but when you have returned, strengthen your brethren. 
He's like warning Peter. And Peter, if we look at the Scriptures, we understand that probably his main thing, his main area of falling was pride. No way, Jesus. Even if everyone should leave you, I won't leave you. Even if it should cost me my life, I'm still going to do it. You see, the problem with Peter is because his pride was blinding him, he didn't understand completely about his own nature and who he was. This term, sift like wheat. I thought that was like, you know, when you say to your friend, hey man, I'm going to sift you like wheat, like you're going to beat him up or something. It's not quite what it meant. Sifting like wheat. When, when they harvested the wheat in that culture, they would like crush the, the outside, the, the husk, the chaff. They would crush that up. But then you'd have a pile of the grain, which was good, and the chaff that you didn't want, which was bad. And so they'd take it onto the threshing floor, and they would shovel it and throw it up in the air. And then the wind that was blowing would blow away the chaff because it was lighter, and the wheat would fall to the ground. And they would just keep throwing that up in the air until all the bad stuff kept leaving, and all the good stuff was all that remained on the floor. And God's saying to us, listen, I want to use those trials. Though Satan means them for bad, I want to mean, use them for good. I want to use them in your life to not draw them away, you away from me, but to draw you closer. So you might know yourself better. You might know me better and my power in your life. You see, that's what happened with Peter. Peter went through a rough time, a rough trial. You guys, maybe you know the story how he denied Jesus. But later it made him stronger because he knew himself better and he knew better about what Satan was going to do in his life. Listen, no matter what happens, Satan is not the most powerful one out there. It's God. And God can turn your situation, whatever it is right now, your trial, your temptation, He can change it and use it for good. Listen to this verse. It says, No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, I, as I speak about this message, it's not kind of a topic we talk about all the time, but, but I probably recognize that there are people in this audience right now who are going through a trial, who are going through temptations that are difficult to bear. Listen, George is going to come out and sing a song. And some guys are going to come down right now to the front here in the stage. And I'm going to come down. And what we're going to do is just, maybe you need prayer today. Maybe you need help in drawing close to God. Maybe you'd like someone to stand in your corner and just say, I need help, Lord. Then that's what we're going to do right now. George is going to start playing. He's going to sing a song. And as you see people that are standing down here already, just come forward and they're going to pray for you.